Support for Swindled comes from the Jordan Harbinger Show. Here's a podcast you should definitely check out since you're clearly a fan of high-quality, fascinating podcasts hosted by interesting people. The Jordan Harbinger Show. There's an episode for everyone, no matter what you're into. The show covers stories like how a professional art forger somehow made millions of dollars while being chased by the feds and the mafia. Jordan's also done an episode all about birth control and how it can alter the partners we pick and how going on or off the pill can change elements of our personalities. The podcast covers a lot, but one constant is his ability to pull useful pieces of advice from his guests. I promise you, you'll find something useful that you can apply to your own life, whether that's an actionable routine change that boosts your productivity or just a slight mindset tweak that changes how you see the world. You can't go wrong with adding the Jordan Harbinger show to your rotation. It's incredibly interesting. There's never a dull show. Search for the Jordan Harbinger show. That's H-E-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Support for Swindled comes from Simply Safe. Summer is coming. Do you have any fun travel plans? I bet you do. And you're just going to leave your home unprotected like that. What's wrong with you? Invest in Simply Safe Home Security today for award-winning security and peace of mind wherever your summer plans take you. Simply Safe's variety of indoor and outdoor cameras and sensors will protect every inch of your home by detecting break-ins, fires, floods, and more. I actually know a guy whose basement flooded while he was on vacation, and he didn't even know it until he returned almost a week later. Apparently that's where he stored his very valuable comic book collection, which was completely ruined. He was inconsolable, but I tried anyway. I said, I'm sorry man, but this could have been avoided if only you had a Simply Safe security system. Simply Safe has given me and many of my listeners real peace of mind. I want you to have it too. Right now, get 20% off any new Simply Safe system with fast protect monitoring at simplysafe.com slash swindled. There's no safe like Simply Safe. Here are two former world-class breakdancers nominated for Grammys who have become huge international stars with record sales in the millions. Well, girl, you know it's true. It can only mean Milli Vanilli. The year was 1990. George Herbert Walker Bush was president. Nelson Mandela was released after 27 years of imprisonment in South Africa. And Millie Vanilli, a flashy, good-looking R&B duo from Germany, won the Grammy Award for Best New Artist. The group's breakout album, Girl You Know It's True, which featured a combination of 80 synth pop and hip-hop, had produced three number one hits and sold over 7 million copies worldwide. It was a true rags-to-riches story for the two men that fronted the group. Fab Morvan and Rob Pilatus, both in their early 20s, met in Los Angeles in 1984 and bonded over their love of dancing. Morvan, a former gymnast, had taken up dance as a form of therapy after injuring a vertebrae in a trampoline accident a year prior. Pilatus, who had dabbled in modeling and DJing, was traveling the world to compete in breakdancing competitions. The two men continued their friendship when they returned home to Munich, but found it difficult to pay their bills using only their dance skills. Luckily, fate intervened. In the late 80s, a successful German record producer named Frank Farian was scouting talent for a new project. 
Farian was on the lookout for young, fashionable men with model good looks and top-tier dancing abilities. As soon as he saw Fab Morvan and Rob Pilatus' moves, the producer knew that the two men fit the bill. Farian wrote the songs and pushed Morvan and Pilatus out onto the stage, dressed in long sweaters, leggings, boots, and shoulder-padded power suits. And the American audience ate it up. The entire country swooned over the exotic, dark-skinned European men with the fancy dance moves and catchy songs. Millie Vanilli had tapped into the perfect formula for pop stardom, and seemingly overnight, the group was sweeping award shows and cashing checks. But sometimes, massive success comes with massive egos. In an interview with Time magazine, Millie Vanilli were quoted as saying, We are musically more talented than any Bob Dylan. Musically, we are more talented than a Paul McCartney. The reporter, understandably caught off guard by the duo's boastful statements, gave them an opportunity to clarify and asked, What do you mean by that? To which they replied, quote, Creative to be able to produce more talented and creative than a beetle. That's bold. So bold that those present in the room for the interview wondered if maybe the questions and answers were getting lost in translation or something because it was clear that neither Fab nor Rob were entirely comfortable with the English language. Which, in itself, was kind of strange considering at the time these were the voices behind the best-selling English language album in the world. Just weeks later, further doubts about the group's authenticity would be raised after a performance from the Lake Compounds theme park in Bristol, Connecticut that was broadcast live on MTV. The duo were in the middle of a beautiful rendition of their number one hit when this happened. Whoops, the backing track was skipping, and so were the voices. Millie Vanilli had been exposed on live television as lip syncers. In the video, you can see Fab embarrassingly shuffle off stage in a way that would make Ashley Simpson proud. But the crowd in attendance either didn't notice or didn't care, so the group regrouped and finished the performance to raucous cheers. The media, on the other hand, had noticed and began loudly questioning the band's credibility. More specifically, there were questions about the voices singing on Millie Vanilli's hit record. Did those voices actually belong to Rob Pilatus and Fab Morvan? According to Rob and Fab, they did. The two men denied the allegations of lip-syncing repeatedly and insisted that their talent was not a facade. But on November 12, 1990, Frank Farian, the man who created Millie Vanilli, admitted to reporters that Rob and Fab did not sing a single note on the album. They've gone beyond platinum and become international stars, but behind the braids and the breakdancing, it turns out, there's a soundtrack by someone else. Rob Pilatus and Fab Morvan are Millie Vanilli, but they're not the singers heard on the group's 7 million record album. The producer revealed that the voices on the record actually belonged to three Americans named Brad Howe, John Davis, and Clyde Shaw. Although the voice talent of those three men was readily apparent, Farian said that he found none of the men very marketable. The real singers were in their late 30s or early 40s at the time of the recordings, 
and did not have the look nor the dance moves that would appeal to the MTV audience. Not to mention, none of the men were too thrilled about the possibility of going on tour. So Farian, understanding how important visual appeal and youthful energy were to making it in the music business, had set out to recruit a few camera-friendly faces to front the group. He pulled Rob Pilatus and Fab Morvan off the streets, strapped them to the Milli Vanilli rocket ship, and launched them into superstardom. But once the media criticism started becoming louder, Rob and Fab went to Frank Farian and demanded that they sing on Millie Vanilli's next album. But rather than allow for that to happen, Farian blew up the entire project. He claims the duo forced his hand, which is why he had come forward to reveal the truth that the entire act was manufactured. Millie Vanilli's contemporaries in the music industry reacted to the news, and some of them were not exactly happy to find out that the Grammy-winning Best New Artists of 1990 were complete phonies. Here's what one of the Indigo girls had to say. I just, th- I think it's a drag. I mean, it's, it's hypocritical to say that you represent, that you did the work on an album and you represent that and you you sell six or seven million copies of a record and it turns out that you had nothing to do with it. It's just, it's a joke. Others, like rapper Tone Loke, claimed to have learned the truth a long time ago. Me personally, I had stated that I had already known that they weren't singing on those tracks well over a year ago when I was on tour with them. I could have blown this whole thing up a a long time ago, but it would have sounded like sour grapes, and I really didn't care because it had just totally left my mind. About a week after Frank Farian blew the whistle, for the first time ever, the National Academy of Recording Arts and Sciences rescinded a Grammy Award. On November 20th, 1990, Millie Vanilli faced the music by holding a press conference in Los Angeles in front of more than 100 journalists. Robin Fab said that they had been manipulated by producer Frank Varian. They said that they had, quote, made a deal with the devil, who had enticed them with money and fame and a way out of the McDonald's job and Munich projects. But being imposters became too heavy of a burden to carry. Robin Fab expressed relief that it was over. And in an effort to prove that they weren't complete frauds, the duo used the live microphones at the press conference to show everyone that they could actually rap and sing. But whatever talents the duo may have actually possessed would not prevent Millie Vanilli from going down in history as one of pop culture's biggest punchlines. Even the group's youngest fans had turned against them. When one former fan was asked by the Los Angeles Times what he thought about Millie Vanilli, that nine-year-old replied, quote, I think they're dirty scumbuckets. As anyone who has ever been called a dirty scumbucket by a nine-year-old can tell you, it hurts. It hurts a lot. Mere days after the scandal broke, Rob Pilatus told the Los Angeles Times, quote, I feel very sad about my fans. I know it's going to be hard for the kids to stand behind us, but I hope they understand that we are just two human guys who were so hungry for success that we allowed ourselves to be manipulated. 
we wanted to get on the top. We apologize and hope they'll give us a second chance. But that second chance never came. In fact, in the ensuing years, the only thing Rob and Fab were given by the fans were subpoenas. Apparently a small percentage of consumers who had purchased Millie Vanilli's album expected the faces on the album covers and in the music videos to be the same faces that were singing the songs. The lawsuit seemed petty on the surface, but it did raise some interesting questions, such as, is that a reasonable expectation? Should the public face of a musical act be expected to have recorded the vocals or instruments on an album? Is what Millie Vanilli did an act of studio magic customary in the music industry, or was it an act of fraud that is pursuable in court? If it is a crime for a musical act not to record their own songs, Alvin and the Chipmunks better lawyer up. People are buying the singer who sings the songs. They're not just buying the sounds that are being uttered. Uh, when somebody goes into the store to buy a Millie Vanilli album, they expect to be buying an album that is sung by Morvan and Palladius, and they weren't buying that. Okay, maybe the case did have some merit. Disgruntled fans and opportunistic lawyers pointed out that the liner notes of Millie Vanilli's hit album had explicitly attributed the vocal performances to Fab Morvan and Rob Pilatus. In the American version, at least, there was no mention of the original performers at all, a fact in which the plaintiffs equated to a blatant misrepresentation of a product. For fans like David Stalter, the image portrayed by Fab Morvan and Rob Pilatus and the voices heard on the records and videos were one and the same. When I, when I listened to the music, I would sort of picture them singing. And I, um, because all their photos and stuff are on the covers, I, I sort of just um, associated the music with them. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's how I looked up to them. At a press conference in Oakland, California, Stalder's mother announced a class action lawsuit against the group, its record label Arista Records, and its agents, asking for refunds for anyone who purchased a Millie Vanilli album. One of the lawsuits, filed in Pennsylvania on behalf of two middle-aged men and extremely reasonable people named Dennis Friedman of Erdenheim and Mark Whalick of Westchester, even argued that Rob and Fab had engaged in mail and wire fraud for lying about singing on the album. That particular lawsuit was dismissed, and so were many of the other 27 that were filed. The remaining cases were consolidated into a class action, and a settlement was finalized on August 28, 1991. Fans that had attended a Millie Vanilli concert were offered refunds for 5% of the ticket price. Fans that purchased t-shirts or other Millie Vanilli merchandise were listed as contributors to a $250,000 donation by the record company to various charities. And 100,000 fans who had bought the album and submitted claims were awarded up to $3 in rebates, which could be applied toward the purchase of a release by one of Arista Records' other exciting recording artists such as Whitney Houston, Dionne Warwick, and Hall & Oates. Victory is sweet. Speaking of Arista Records, the record company had made statements out of both sides of its mouth. At first, they feigned ignorance, claiming that they were completely unaware about Millie Vanilli's lip-syncing. Later, they defended themselves and the group, labeling the Millie Vanilli facade as nothing more than music industry theatrics. Not a burden of fraud, though. The record people don't call it that. They call it illusion, simply part of entertainment. Richard Roth, CBS News, New York. Wait for it. So, girl, you know it's not true. Good one, Richard. 
producer Frank Farian could not comprehend why his group's lip-syncing had become such a scandal in the United States. He accused the American press of treating the story with more outrage than their coverage of Saddam Hussein. And although he understood why young fans of the group might be disappointed to find out that their singing, dancing Santa Claus isn't real, Frank Farian claimed it was an important lesson to learn. Quote, The kids have to learn, have to open their eyes. We sell illusions, and they are not reality. That's a good lesson for every kid to learn. Indeed it is. In fact, that lesson may be more important today than ever in this modern world rife with photoshopped models, Snapchat filters, product placements, Pro Tools, Ghost Riders, and Auto-Tune. Listen up, kids. Authenticity is rare. It's important to understand that not everything you see or hear is real. And it is important to understand that sometimes the media targeted at you has no artistic merit. In fact, some media is even created with the sole purpose of serving as a vehicle to shove advertisements into your consciousness. It's true of radio. It's true of movies and television. And it's especially true of podcasts. Hey, Swindled listeners, do you like stories about con artists? Well, you're in luck. Because every week, the ParCast original podcast series Con Artists dives into the psychology of hustlers, swindlers, and fraudsters to share with you the greatest cons of all time. Con artists come from different walks of life, and this podcast covers all of them. They seem like a friend, or even family. You trust them with your life. But behind the promises of fame, success, and riches beyond your wildest dreams is just another scammer trying to cheat you out of your life savings. Hear the story of how the Wolf of Wall Street, Jordan Belfort, partied hard and made millions while engaging in stock market manipulation. Or hear about how a top Wall Street market maker named Bernie Madoff conned thousands of clients out of billions of dollars using one of the biggest Ponzi schemes of all time. Search for and subscribe to Con Artist on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Again, search Con Artist or visit parcast.com slash conartist to listen now spot the con before it finds you. Anyway, what were we talking about? Oh yeah, the years after the scandal were not kind to the men of Millie Vanilli. A few months after the settlement, Rob Pilatus had to be talked down from his hotel room's ninth-story balcony from which he was threatening to jump. Ever since it was revealed that pop singers Millie Vanilli did not really sing on some of their recordings, things have been going south fast for the duo. First they lost their Grammy and now something much worse has happened. We then formulated a plan where we could gain entry into room 909 next door and once we were set in position in room 909, our station desk telephoned Ms. Pilatus' room and as Ms. Pilatus left the balcony to answer the telephone, we then walked across the balcony into the room and detained him. That was a close call. And yes, that newscaster was loofah enthusiast Bill O'Reilly. In the late 90s, when Rob was back on his feet, the duo reunited to produce new music, and Fab Morvan tried to help out his friend as best he could. Fab even bailed Rob out of jail once after he was arrested for committing a series of assaults and robberies. And on at least one occasion, Fab paid for one of Rob's 10 stints in rehab. But... He was never able to escape the unforgiving grasp of substance abuse. On April 2, 1998, Rob Pilatus was found dead in a hotel room in Frankfurt, Germany. He had accidentally overdosed on prescription pills and alcohol. He was only 32 years old. It makes you wonder how much of an influence the fallout of the lip-syncing scandal had on Rob Pilatus' mental health 
It also makes you wonder what would happen if the Milli Vanilli scandal happened today. Would it even be newsworthy? Would their fans and the media be more forgiving? Would Rob Pilatus still be alive? Or would half of the country despise them for their deception, while the other half convince themselves that not only were Milli Vanilli really singing, that they were the best singers of all time? The point is that we all live in our own personally curated realities. Everything is an illusion. And that is exactly what a musician named Jared Threaden set out to prove in November 2018. Or so he claims. Unlike Milli Vanilli, Jared recorded every note on his album. The talent was real. It was everything else that was fake. An ambitious and talented performer recruits a backing band to embark on a European tour and pulls off one of the most delirious scams the music industry had seen in years on this episode of Swindled. They bribed government officials, clear violations of federal and state law, paid a play millions of taxpayer dollars that were wasted, paid tens of millions of dollars or a billion dollars, by falsifying its books and records responsible for the collapse of the entire system. I mean, the troll of some kind of Calling all lovers of mystery. Prepare to don your detective hat in June's Journey, a free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. Take a trip in time to the glitzy 20s and play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. The thrill is endless with new chapters added weekly, allowing you to not only enjoy the detective adventure, but also to personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. After months of hard work, the debut album by Los Angeles-based rock band Threaten was released for public consumption by Superlative Music Recordings on August 25, 2017. The album was called Breaking the World, and it was essentially a solo album from a multi-instrumentalist named Jared Threaten, the frontman of the group whose face was featured prominently on the record cover. Every sound on the album, from drums and bass to guitar and vocals, had been written and recorded by Jared and Jared alone, mostly out of necessity since Jared was the only member of the band, but also because that's how he preferred to work. Never question the process of an artist. I knew from a young age that I was going to be a solo artist, and for me it was always faster to just go record the drum part I wrote or the guitar part I wrote when I feel like I have a deeper connection with the song and I can record it faster and I can portray it the way that I want it portrayed without having to explain it to someone. And to me, the me playing every instrument thing is I know exactly how I want it to sound and I enjoy playing all these different instruments. That's the biggest factor 
is that I enjoy playing all these these different instruments and this is it's fun for me. Jared's idea of fun resulted in an album full of cheesy power metal ballads with lyrics that resembled the deep thoughts of a 13-year-old. The Italian edition of Esquire magazine, who mistakenly or maybe purposely referred to the band as The Threatens, offered up the best description of the band's music. Quote, They play a kind of shabby teen pop with heavy glam metal influences, or a kind of very crappy glam metal with the aggressiveness of a teen pop band. That quote is translated, but you get the point. A lot of the lyrics that I write come from a specific feeling. I'll write down just random thoughts. I have notebooks full of random thoughts and pieces of poetry. If I'm in a specific mood, I'll sit down and write things. Sometimes I'll have a particular cadence in mind. Every conversation I have, I feel like I'm examining the way that the words flow together because maybe it comes out in a certain way that just lends itself musically. And I can't ever shut that off. That's just always there. Jared Threaten had always been an outsider. The 29-year-old always dressed head to toe in black, kept his hair long. He was never one to care much about what the world thought about him or his art. Jared was extremely proud of what he had accomplished with his new album. And he knew that there was an audience out there who would appreciate it. He just needed to find them. On Threaten's YouTube channel, Jared began promoting Breaking the World by posting promotional videos that featured him relaying anecdotes about the construction of each song on the record, intermixed with pantomimes of him playing various instruments and headbanging to his own songs. Those videos are about as cringeworthy as they sound. If need be started off as just an acoustic song. A memory forgotten was to highlight the piano, like say Identity, that was designed to highlight the drums. And I tried to encapsulate that in a song. And that's what Living is Dying was. At one point, in true DIY fashion, you can even tell that Jared is in a room alone, interviewing himself. Listen to him pretend not to hear the question that no one asked. Which song were you asking about? The Place Between? The Place Between. I wrote the bass line for that song first. I knew that song was going to highlight the bass. Yeah, we get it. Jared wrote all of the songs himself and played all of the instruments on his own just like a million teenagers are doing in their bedrooms at this exact moment. And he seemed to be very proud of that fact. But the real question that Jared needed to ask himself was if anybody would care. It's difficult for anyone to make a name for themselves in such a saturated music industry these days, no matter how much talent they actually possess. But judging by the fan shot live footage that would soon be uploaded to that same YouTube channel, people did seem to care. Jared threatened was making some noise and the crowds were going wild. In the user comments below the videos, some fans, mostly female, gushed over the ascending rock star. One woman expressed interest in licking the sweat off of Mr. Threaten's body. Another fan took it even further, typing, quote, I would let Jared Threaten do literally anything to me. Oh, honey, that's too bad. Haven't you heard? Jared Threaten as a solo artist. But it's faster for me to just do it this way. It comes very fast. By the end of 2017, the band was receiving attention from more than just online groupies. The YouTube views and Facebook likes were piling up, and an online music journal named Top Rock Press had named Threaten its 2017 Top Rock Artist of the Year. Even though the album had yet to find a wide audience, the critical acclaim would certainly help. 
to capitalize on the momentum and internet buzz. In early 2018, Threaten teamed up with Stage Right Bookings to plan a European tour, which would run for a little more than two weeks in the beginning of November, with stops in the United Kingdom, Scotland, Ireland, France, Italy, and Germany for a total of 10 shows. Promoter Casey Marshall at Stage Right was placed in charge of securing the venues and opening acts. He sent promotional materials to different rock clubs across Europe that boasted how Threaten had, quote, proven to be one of the most promising rock artists of the last decade, and how Jared's, quote, distinct voice and memorable songs quickly captured the attention of fans. The materials also noted that Threaten's latest single had appeared on top 40 charts in seven different countries. And of course, there was a line about how Jared played every instrument on the album, quote, The world rarely sees so much talent wrapped up in one person. How could any venue say no to that? The schedule was set, and by all accounts, tickets were selling well. But there was one little problem. Jared could not play all of the instruments live by himself. Support for Swindled comes from Simply Safe. When you travel, do concerns back home nag you? You know, did you lock up? Did you leave a window open? Did you forget a child? Things like that. I know I do. That's why I recommend investing in Simply Safe Home Security today for award-winning security and peace of mind wherever your summer plans take you. Here's a true story that happened to me last week. I was out of town in an unfamiliar city in an unfamiliar room. It was midnight and I was about to fall asleep when I get an alert on my phone. Simply Safe glass break sensor triggered. Not good. So I log in to view my cameras and I see a massive hailstorm pounding my house in real time. Long story short, I sent a friend over to take care of it. His night was ruined. I slept like a baby. Thank you, Simply Safe. Simply Safe has given me and many of my listeners real peace of mind. I want you to have it too. Right now, get 20% off any new Simply Safe system with fast protect monitoring at simplysafe.com/swindled. There's no safe like Simply Safe. Hi, Joe. My name is Lisa Golding. I am an artist manager at Aligned Artist Management in Beverly Hills, California. We have a signed hard rock artist on our roster that is looking for a new rhythm guitarist for their upcoming tour in Europe this November. After seeing some videos of your playing, I believe you will be a good fit. If you are interested, I would like to set you up with an audition slash meeting with a band in Los Angeles. Let me know if you're available and I'll send you the details. Sometime in July 2018, Joe Prunera, a 36-year-old guitarist working as an audio-video technician at the Wynn Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, received a friend request on Facebook from a woman named Lisa Golding, who identified herself as a representative of Aligned Artist Management. The message that accompanied the friend request included an invitation for an audition to join an unnamed band on a European tour. Joe was a little surprised by the invitation, considering that other than a few YouTube videos, his online presence was minuscule. He wasn't sure how this management company even found him, but he thought it was worth checking out. Joe called the number at the bottom of the message and spoke to Lisa Golding by phone. Lisa told him that a band named Threaten was looking for a rhythm guitarist, and that an associate of hers named Joe Abrams could provide all of the other minute details related to the tour. Through email, Joe Abrams from Aligned Artist Management instructed guitarist Joe Prunera 
to learn two songs from Threaten's album before traveling to SIR Studios in Hollywood the following week to play them at the audition. Punera learned seven of Threaten's songs just to be safe. When he arrived at the studio, Joe was surprised to find that neither Lisa Golding nor Joe Abrams nor anyone else from Aligned Artist Management was present for the audition. According to Joe, the only people in attendance were Jared Threaten and his wife Kelsey, who was filming the performances. Despite the initial weirdness of the situation, Joe Prunera nailed the audition and he was offered the position later the same day. This is Joe describing his first encounter with Jared Threaten on the Hoax podcast. At the time, my first impression was he was a, a really nice guy, very down to earth, um, somebody I really got along with. And so thought this would be a great, uh, you know, great opportunity to add to my resume and gain some more experience and hopefully, you know, take a step in the next right direction for everything. Over the next three months, from August to October, about every other weekend, Joe Prunera traveled from Las Vegas to Los Angeles to rehearse with Jared and the other hired guns. Dane Davis, also from Las Vegas, had been chosen to serve as Threaten's live drummer, and 24-year-old Gavin Carney, an auto mechanic from California, would fill in on bass guitar. When I auditioned with him, we even had like a little bass slap battle. It was a lot of fun. Um, he's got a lot of uh, great fusion chops on drums. He's really good. Um, As November drew closer, the details of the tour became more clear. The band would be playing at venues that housed up to 1,500 people. Jared told his new bandmates Joe, Dane, and Gavin that his label wanted him to get used to playing rooms that size. He also told the band that they would be paid in advance $300 each total for the entire tour, or about $30 a show. Obviously not great compensation, but having all of the other expenses, including food and airfare covered by Threaten, made up for it. Well, almost. On the band's maiden voyage to London, Joe Prunera's carry-on luggage was too big to fit into the airplane's overhead compartment. He was forced to check the bag for $100, which he paid out of his own pocket. No big deal. It was his mistake, but even more concerning, the day before the tour began, Jared informed his new bandmates that their $300 payment was actually a $300 stipend that would cover their meals for the next two weeks. Hey, no one ever said rock and roll was easy. In London, the band rented a Mercedes Sprinter van to transport their gear from city to city, and they rented a two-bedroom apartment hotel to crash for a few days. Jared and his wife Kelsey, who was also doubling as the band's tour manager, slept in the master bedroom. Two band members shared the other room, and the final member, probably the bassist, slept on the couch. Again, not an ideal situation, but ask any band that's ever been on the road. It's a luxury just to find a dry floor to sleep on. And apparently, being treated like an adult is also a luxury, at least in the Threaten crew. On the first morning of the tour, the three hired musicians went down to the hotel lobby for breakfast and returned to their room to find a furious Jared Threaten. He instructed the band that they needed to stick together and that he needed to know where they were at all times. Since Jared and Kelsey kept to themselves and did not drink or party in any way, shape, or form, the rest of the band realized that they would be stuck at the hotel every night of the tour. Very metal. On November 1st, Threaten was scheduled to perform at the Camden Underworld in London, a venue that Threaten's backing band upon sight noticed was much too small to house 1,500 people like Jared had described. 
but it was the first date of an international tour. Such miscommunications are to be expected. So the band settled in. Kelsey hung the stage backdrop and set up the merch table. Everybody was excited for the show, including the venue. The underground had been informed by Casey Marshall at stage right that almost 300 tickets had been sold in advance. Pretty impressive for a Thursday evening. But as the night progressed and the opening bands played to an empty room, it became apparent that either there had been some kind of mass coincidence where 300 people had a sudden change of plans, or the ticket sales reported by Casey Marshall had been fabricated. Besides the other bands, the people on their guest list, the sound engineer, and the bar staff, Threaten, on the first night of their European tour, played their set to a crowd of three people. This is strange, Jared told the band. I'm used to more people being here. This is guitarist Joe Prunera. You know, I wasn't too concerned. I had some really bad jet lag, and it was also our first show together as a band, so naturally there's going to be a few little mishaps. However, after the band's second show on November 4th at Trillions in Newcastle, where they performed in front of four paying customers despite being informed that hundreds of tickets had been sold. Joe, Gavin, and Dane realized that what was happening was far more than a few little mishaps. But the show must go on, so the band kept playing as Threaten's Titanic of a tour continued to sink. You know, again, you know, there's just basically nobody there. We were playing to practically, you know, a, a, an empty room between like three and seven people on average. The same experience repeated itself in Glasgow and again in Bristol, where upon realizing that no one was showing up, the booking agent at the Rebellion had allegedly told Jared that the show could continue but only if it were a free event. Quote, The manager was apologetic, but Jared said, I don't care if you do it as a free event, and he brushed past me with his long hair. After playing to nobody in Manchester and then again in Birmingham, Everybody in the band had grown to expect an empty room. Kelsey had even stopped bothering to display the t-shirts and CDs the band had brought to sell. She did, however, continue to film the band's performances, although the camera was focused on Jared for the entire duration of the shows. Why were the venues so empty? Had the promoter really failed to market any of the shows? Nobody in the band could explain what was happening. But when the tour rolled into Belfast on November 10th, once Jared and Kelsey were out of sight, drummer Dane Davis pulled his bandmates Joe Prunera and Gavin Carney aside and confronted them with the truth. And that's when Dane brought it to our attention. He basically said, I got to, I've got to show you guys something and we need to keep this on the down low. And then he showed us the first article that, that broke out and it just, it just shocked us. On November 9th, 2018, Heavy metal music news website MetalSucks.net published a report titled LA Band Threaten Faked a Fan Base to Land a European Tour No One Attended. The article included comments and social media posts from the venues where the band had played, as well as first-hand accounts from members of the opening acts like The Unresolved. Most notably, however, was the publication's accusations that the frontman of Threaten had amongst other devious acts, quote, lied about ticket sales numbers to swindle venue owners and talent buyers into taking on the shows. Jared and Kelsey were upstairs in the bedroom when the rest of the band read the news. For Joe, Dane, and Gavin, it was like being in some kind of cheesy horror movie where the victims discover they're trapped in a house with a serial killer 
but in this case, the maniac was wielding a different kind of axe. When Jared finally appeared, he could sense something was off about the group. He asked his bandmates if they had talked to anyone or seen any of the articles. When the band confirmed his suspicions, Jared blamed everyone but himself for the promotional snafu. He told the band, quote, I'm the guy. I'm the artist. I'll just show up and play. Everyone else takes care of the other stuff. Jared admitted to the band that he was not sure what to do next. He wondered aloud if it would be best just to cancel the rest of the tour or continue on like everything was normal. But Joe and Dane had already made that decision for him. Uh, Dane and I realized, uh, basically came to the decision that we're, we're going to leave. We don't want to be a part of this. We don't want to be associated with this. This isn't what we signed up for. In fact, Dane Davis had already stashed half of his drums in a safe place just in case he needed to make a quick escape. Dane left the band that night to stay with his mother and other family members who had traveled to Northern Ireland to watch him perform. A few days later, he uploaded a video message to Facebook. Hey everyone, I just wanted to give you an update on what's going on with uh, me and the rest of the hired band for the Threatened Tour. Um, by now, you know, you probably have, have heard what's going on uh, with everything. None of this should have happened and um, I just want, you know, first and foremost to let everyone know that uh, Joe, Gavin and I uh, we had no idea. We were blindsided by uh, everything that came up on Friday and um, Joe and Gavin are great people, uh, very talented musicians and, um, you know, I... It's, it's shocking, and we're trying to wrap our heads around, you know, what happened. Um. Guitarist Joe Prunera flew home to Vegas the morning after the confrontation. Gavin Carney, the bassist, decided to stay. No, I decided to stay. Um, I didn't have the money on me to leave, if, but um, I could have always asked my family and my parents to get me out. Uh, Jared... And Kelsey also offered, if I ever felt like I wanted to leave, I could leave, and they would pay for my ticket home. And they also um, said they would pay for food if I ran out of food money or anything like that. Yeah, we still had a good time sightseeing and everything, so it was still a fun time. Although Jared Threaten was reportedly disappointed with his band's disintegration, he told them that he completely understood. The story had spread quickly. Even mainstream press outlets like the New York Times and the BBC were reporting on it. Some of them were even digging into the singer's past. The remaining shows were cancelled. The tour was officially over. But the real entertainment was just beginning. On November 14, 2018, the official Twitter account of Threaten tweeted out, quote, What is fake news? I turned an empty room into an international headline. If you are reading this, you are part of the illusion. You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. 
tap the banner to go to monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. The illusion began in Moberly, Missouri, a small town near Columbus where Jared Threaten was born and raised as Jared Eames. He was a normal, middle-class, midwestern kid who fell in love with music at an early age and taught himself how to play every instrument he could get his hands on. Jared graduated from Columbia College with a bachelor's degree in psychology and had even begun pursuing his master's, but his dreams of rock stardom never faded away. In fact, Threaten was not Jared's first serious band. From 2005 to 2010, he had played with his brother Scott in an extreme metal band named Satith. We're saying thanks to everybody for coming out. Come on! I've got to say, we travel a long fucking way to play. This is the disease that is Christ. And even though Satith was relatively successful, having even played shows in Puerto Rico to an actual audience. According to his brother Scott, Jared had an issue sharing the glory. Scott remembers certain instances where Jared's ego seemed out of control, like when Satith released their second album and Jared tried to take sole credit online for the entire recording, even though other people had worked on it. Or even at family functions where Jared acted like he deserved special treatment. Even when he wasn't on stage, the guy just couldn't turn it off. But Jared Eames was never that close to his family anyway, or so it seems. He moved out of his parents' house when he was just 17 years old and began living with his girlfriend Kelsey, who was also still in high school. Jared told Rolling Stone that when he was 20 years old, he experienced a sudden and violent coughing fit that made him re-examine how he was spending his time on Earth. As he stared at the sink full of blood, he asked himself, quote, Am I really happy doing what I'm doing with my life? Apparently not because soon after the health scare, Jared and Kelsey packed their things and moved to California. According to Scott Eames, the couple eventually just dropped off the face of the earth and failed to keep in touch with their immediate families. One of the comments on the December 6, 2010 Facebook post from Jared was from Jerry Eames, his father, who wrote, Love you both. Call. Miss you to a lot. Lost touch. Anyone who knows Jared or Kelsey Eames, have them give family a call. Scott had not spoken to his brother in over six years when he saw the articles about the threatened tour. He claims no one in the family was that surprised by the news. Scott, who has built a legitimate career for himself as a musician, felt compelled to release a statement of his own. The beginning of that statement reads, quote, All I can say is I'm disappointed in the choices my brother has made, with the current news shedding light on his real identity and our relation, and that we did have a band together in the past. I have to actively disassociate myself with his current actions. Details about Jared's current actions had come to light thanks to the media and internet sleuths. It appeared that Jared was able to plan Threaten's European tour by constructing an impressive universe of phony companies, starting with the record label that released the album, Superlative Music Recordings. The history section of the label's website claims the company was formed in 1964 and even details a short-lived rebranding and change of direction that took place in 1980. It's an insane amount of detail for a company that never existed. As The Guardian put it, it's this intense attention to detail which threatens to elevate the whole affair from the slightly tragic 
to an absolute work of art. They are not kidding. The live videos Jared had posted to YouTube to promote himself were nothing more than stock video overdubbed with Threaten's music and the sounds of screaming fans. The views on the videos were purchased and the comments sexualizing the frontman were nothing more than Jared and internet drag. And judging by the lack of fan engagement on Threaten's social media, the 38,000 Facebook page likes and 16,000 Instagram followers were presumably paid for as well in addition to the Facebook event RSVPs to the shows on the European tour, where most, if not all, of the attendees appeared to be from Brazil. And the hits keep coming. Aligned Artist Management, the company that contacted Joe Prunera, Dane Davis, and Gavin Carney to audition for the band, was not real either. Lisa Golding, who sent the initial invites, was not an actual person. Her Facebook profile picture was discovered to have been stolen from the portfolio website of a photographer in Montreal. The voice on the phone that the hired band believed was Lisa Golding almost certainly belonged to Jared's wife Kelsey. And those emails from Joe Abrams, almost definitely Jared Eames behind a computer screen. Which would explain why, after the band was hired, neither Lisa nor Joe were ever seen or heard from again. As for Casey Marshall and Stage Right Bookings, the company responsible for scheduling the shows and securing the venues and opening acts. Completely fictional. The physical address listed on the company's website actually belonged to a Los Angeles charity for suicide prevention. And what linked all of these companies together besides the obvious connection to Jared Threaten was that the domain names for their respective websites, including Threaten.com, were all registered to the same GoDaddy account within the same time period. Not to mention, all of the websites were constructed using the same template from a popular web design service. Jared had also manufactured reviews and interviews and past tours related to Threaten, which he used to source his own Wikipedia article. Even the Best New Artist award given to him by Top Rock Press was a figment of his own imagination. As it turns out, the entire history of the band was fraudulent. Threaten was not the next best thing in rock music. Threaten was nothing more than a portrait of a hapless narcissist and a tireless self-promoter with an extremely inflated ego. Which was unfortunate for Joe Prunera, Dane Davis, and Gavin Carney. Three innocent men who just wanted to play music and live out their dreams. Instead, they were out of thousands of dollars in lost wages and unplanned expenses due to Jared's delusional scheme. This is bassist Gavin Carney. So, I can't imagine why he would need to fake his way through anything. Uh, he has the skills and talent, obviously, to not have to do that, I wouldn't think. He's also recently had some physical ailments uh, that have made it painful for him to even do basic things, so the fact that he went on tour with that just doesn't seem like something who somebody with a con artist mentality would do. And even though Jared had paid the venues an upfront rental fee to reserve the dates, that rental fee did not cover the cost of additional security and equipment required to run the show. On top of that, the opening bands, some of which took days off of work and drove for hours to play for very little in the first place, left with absolutely nothing. In the wake of the scandal, some of the venues organized benefits to compensate the bands and staff who had been wronged. At the event held by the exchange in Bristol, Threaten's album was played on loop, while the support bands played for real live people. The venue's owner, Matt Ottridge, told the Bristol Post, quote, 
The word I would use to describe the whole thing is surreal and also a little bit annoying. We're not really sure what to make of it, to be honest. The booking agent of Rebellion in Manchester shared that sentiment. Quote, I was annoyed at the start, but as each day passes, I feel like I've been catfished along with the whole music scene. And that was the point, at least according to Jared Eames, who admitted to the BBC in December of 2018 that the entire tour was a carefully planned scheme to manufacture controversy. He confessed to creating the fake booking agency and the fake management company. He even showed the reporter a notebook full of usernames and passwords for various social media accounts that he used to promote his own band. Jared knew the whole time that he would never be able to fill those rooms with physical bodies, so he found a way to fill them with digital eyes instead. It's a publicity stunt, he told Rolling Stone, but the music is very real. Jared said he spent about $10,000 to record the album and more than $5,000 on the tour. He told Rolling Stone that the funds came from over a decade of savings from working at Burger King and installing breathalyzers in people's cars. Quote, I'm not some fucking rich kid. All this is, is good money management. Jared even claimed that he was the one responsible for blowing the lid on the whole scandal. He said he sent anonymous emails to multiple media outlets exposing the hoax, and everyone played right into his hands. He had copies of the emails to prove it, but those copies turned out to be backdated forgeries. The BBC dug up those emails from Jared, who was using the pseudonym E. Evie Knows It, and confirmed that they were actually delivered on November 17th, almost a full week after the story broke. Needless to say, nobody was convinced that manufacturing his own destruction was Jared's original intent. To most, Jared's claims that everything went according to plan seemed like a thinly veiled attempt to save face. Even Jared's brother Scott predicted in an interview with Metal Sucks that his brother would try to spin the story in his favor. Quote, I know him well enough that he's going to try to turn this into it all being an elaborate hoax, and that he was the mastermind of that too. I know that's what he's going to pull. But the craziest part about Jared Eames' stunt is that it might have actually worked. Before the controversy, Threaten's top song, Living Is Dying, had less than 1,000 plays on Spotify. Today, that same song has been listened to more than 100,000 times. Even more surprising is that at least one of the venues that he scammed has forgiven him. The Underworld in London announced that Threaten would be performing live on November 1st, 2019. Jared confirmed the news in a post on Threaten's Instagram, in which he was soliciting guitarists to join him. Two people that will not be joining Jared at the upcoming gig are his former guitarist Joe Prunera and drummer Dane Davis. In December 2018, Prunera and Davis, as well as Davis's mother, sued Jared and Kelsey Eames to recover lost wages and other expenses related to the disastrous tour. All three cases were heard at the same time on April 8, 2019 but neither Jared nor Kelsey attended the proceedings, resulting in a default judgment for the plaintiffs. Joe Prunera was awarded $10,000, the maximum allowable in small claims court, while both Dane Davis and his mother recovered about $4,000 each. As of today, none of them have received a single penny. Although Jared Eames has never commented publicly on the lawsuits, it is evident that he has other plans for his money. He announced that a new Threaten album is in the works, as well as a documentary using the European footage shot by his wife. After that, who knows? Now that he has actual fans, maybe there will be another tour.
Fingers crossed. Swindled is written, researched, produced, and hosted by me, a concerned citizen, with original music by Trevor Howard, except for that song used in the commercial. I bought that for $20 from some stock music website. Trevor has made it clear that he wants absolutely no credit for that whatsoever. Special thanks to Michael from the Hoax Podcast for letting me use snippets from his conversation with Joe Prunera. Michael also hosts a podcast called Unresolved, which just started its new season so be sure to check that out. I also want to thank Aaron from the podcast All Crime No Cattle for providing the voice of Lisa Golding. She and her husband host a conversational true crime podcast all about Texas, but you don't have to be from Texas to listen. All Crime No Cattle. Check it out. For more information about Swindled, visit swindledpodcast.com and follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at swindledpodcasts. You can support the show by going to patreon.com slash swindled and joining the Valued Listener Rewards program. For as little as $5 a month, Valued Listeners get early access to new episodes and exclusive access to bonus episodes. If you sign up today, you will get instant access to all of the past and future bonus episodes. There's a crazy one about an acid attack coming up. I promise they're coming. Thanks for being patient. Besides the music, I'm still doing all of this by myself. And if you're wondering why, it's because... I knew from a young age that I was going to be a solo artist, and I can record it faster, and I can portray it the way that I want it portrayed without having to explain it to someone. I know exactly how I want it to sound, and it's fun for me. That's right, Jared. It's fun for me. And your support makes it all possible. Patreon.com slash swindled. You can also support the show by buying something at swindledpodcast.com slash shop. There are stickers, patches, hats, hoodies, posters, t-shirts, and more. New stuff is added all of the time. Go check it out. Swindledpodcast.com slash shop. If you don't want anything in return for your support, you can always simply donate using the form on the homepage. Anything helps. Finally, on Saturday, September 7th, Trevor and I will be in Los Angeles at 6th and La Brea Brewery and Restaurant. On Friday, October 4th, Yours truly will be in Boston, Massachusetts at the Winter Hill Brewing Company in Somerville. Jeff, the co-owner and brewer at Winter Hill, has offered to brew a swindled-inspired beer. You know I'm not going to miss that. You can RSVP to either of those events at swindledpodcast.com events. Please come. It would be a shame to travel all that way if nobody showed up. That's it. Thanks for listening. Thanks to Simply Safe for sponsoring the show. Simply Safe has given me and many of my listeners real peace of mind. I want you to have it too. Right now, get 20% off any new Simply Safe system with Fast Protect Monitoring at simplysafe.com/swindled. There's no safe like Simply Safe.